Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today we're talking about better leadership to promote the positives in peace and culture. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and work with those leaders to create a thriving future. Our work includes assisting leaders in navigating the disruptive trends and developing strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. And I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that today, Our guest is Dr. Mike Hardy, who is the board chair of the International Leadership Association. So in essence, my boss. So Professor Mike Hardy is the founding director of the Center for Trust, Peace, and Social Relations at Coventry University in the UK. After a distinguished career, he returned to the academic world in 2011 as professor of intercultural relations at Coventry University. Mike is active with UNESCO and the UN Alliance of Civilizations. He's currently lead advisor to the World Forum for Intercultural Dialogue in Baku, the World Peace Forum in Indonesia, and directs the Rising Global Peace Forum at Coventry. Professor Hardy has been twice awarded honors, the Order of the British Empire in 2001 for his peace-building work in the Middle East, and appointed Companion of Honor of St. Michael and St. George and the Queen's Birthday Honors in June 2010 for his work internationally in intercultural dialogue. Mike is a trustee of the Faith and Belief Forum, the leading interfaith charity in the UK, and the board chair of the US-based International Leadership Association. So better leadership, like peace, is a critical factor for human flourishing. With better leadership, Societies can begin to address the many sources of human insecurity, but often, just as with peace, we remain more aware of its absence than its existence. Mike joins the show today to discuss his current work, trends in democracy, and what leaders can be doing to make a difference through better leadership for a more peaceful existence for all of us. So Mike, welcome, welcome. I'm delighted to have you join us again today. It's great to be here, Maureen, and, and good to see you as well uh, in this virtual world we live. And, uh, I'm honored to be invited to, to talk. We always have fun. Yes, we do. So is there anything you would like to tell our listeners before we jump in and talk about your current work? So I think you've, you've put it really well. People often ask me why I'm interested in, I'm a peace scholar, I'm interested in leadership and how do these two fit and I think you captured it well I see it very simple to see the absence of peace and a world of conflict a world of turmoil a world of violence and it's very often easy to see also bad leadership we could just have to look over our shoulders and so I'm really interested in the convergence of thinking on this around can we find a way to articulate positive peace where peace is the default that we see normally and where better leadership is a responsibility that we step up to and, uh, and produce a world in which we confront the inevitable turbulence in a better way than we do now. It's a beautiful vision and from what we talked about in your bio, your entire life it revolves around bringing that vision into reality. So I started as an economist, Maureen, you, you and I, maybe I've mentioned this before, and something happened on the journey 
that said to me that simple economics, even though most everything is about economics, it didn't have the answers to some of these questions. So um, I think you're right. By, by accident, certainly not by design, I ended up on a journey in which uh, I, was, I was trying to focus on how we, as people, in the relationships we have, could construct a way of relating one to another which would lead to a better circumstance for everyone. I didn't see simple economics pointing in those directions at all. You know, it's interesting that we share the background in economics. That was my undergraduate degree, and I loved the idea that simple graphs, or not so simple graphs, the data behind them is quite complex, made sense of the world. And then I started working with people, and it kind of blew the theory that, that the economic charts could explain what was happening. So in, the, in neoclassical economics, as you know, we, what we do is we, we suspend disbelief. We hold everything constant and we change one or two things in order to see what relationships exist. But you know, the world is a complex, adaptive set of systems. And uh, we know we've got these complex processes now where there's, you solve one problem and you create others. And it's far too complicated to draw on the Austrian algebra that led to the simplicity of uh, neoclassical positive economics. But there are so many lessons in, of course, in that mm -hmm. discipline, in that scholarship that we can draw on. Absolutely. I loved my time studying it and working in, in that field. So that's a perfect lead-in to something I read in your ILA board report, and I'm going to read to the extent I do well at reading. We know how many fights there are in progress across the globe. Asia, Latin America, and the nations of the Soviet Union, within Europe and the EU and in the US. The fight seems seem to start when things go wrong. And those charged with responsibility, essentially governments, fail to step up to the adversity, but more readily to the blame. They blame others, fear and prejudice. The proverbial buck fails to stop where we used to expect it to stop. This is a very disconcerting statement about the state of the governance system across the globe. It doesn't sound like democratic leaders are delivering as we would hope. So, Mike, do you see this as an invitation for us to select different leaders, to change how democracy is working, to do it like it was designed? Help our listeners understand, especially in the U.S., as we are in the process of selecting our next president, Help us make sense of what you're seeing and what are these global trends? So it does point in all sorts of really, really worrying directions. It's, we change the system, we change the leaders, we can't change the, 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 the turbulence and the source of the problem because most of these are exogenous, they're outside our direct control. But what it seems to me is that we have a mismatch of the way we think we should be organizing our nations, our societies, our world, and the way it needs to be organized. So I, I see much of what's going on now, and let me let me preface this, I'm not an expert, I'm just an observer of, of life, and I'm passionate to find things that we can do in small ways to make a, a difference to what I observe. But I see a major breakdown in some of the systems that we expect to work. There's a mm -hmm. huge breakdown in in global climate management and the emergency around that. We expect us to be able to cope in the natural world and that the system of checks and balances that we read about in our natural history and our geography will sort it, but they don't. We're failing. We're raping the forests, we're destroying the environment, we're choking our cities, and the system that's there to protect and to coexist with us is just breaking down. In, in the mid to late uh, 2007, 2008, the finance system collapsed. The finance system, which is there to manage our debt, to create wonderful opportunities for us all, failed to deliver, failed to protect us, needed a massive bailout, an artificial insertion of support from taxpayers. Uh, we can go on. The system of mm -hmm. governance that we so value, particularly in the more developed North and the democratic countries of the world, which we fought for, for for many hundreds of years, are simply not working in the way that we expect them to work. What's happening is that democratically elected leaders appear to be 
using their constituents to give them short-term power, even though the long-term nature of the problems they're trying to address require much longer terms than they're given. So we bounce along, your president bounces along from one four-year term to the next, our government's the same, and as a result, the focus on winning power back from the people at the next opportunity, the next vote, becomes far more important than resolving some of the issues that we elect them to look at. And, you know, we can go on. This is, in other words, as I see it, uh, a systems failure. And when it's a systems failure, there are many ways we can get our toolkit out, try and tweak it and try and change it. But I think we have some major realignments about the way in which we, we work and the way in which we expect our leaders to lead and the way in which we expect those who govern us to be accountable for the actions that they take. I want to make sure we cover everything that we've scheduled to cover, but the idea of a systems failure that usually we get from the system what it was designed to deliver. And so I wonder if our systems as the world is now in more interconnected, more complicated, as the speed of change is speed of communication, that when our democracy was founded, literally communication was writing a letter, handing it to a man on a horse that rode to probably another man on a horse who gave it to someone on a boat who then handed it off to another person on a horse. Now you and I are communicating real time for an incredibly inexpensive rate and are our structures designed, and that's just one example, are our structures designed to navigate the level of complexity that we currently face or do we need to update the governance elements of, I'm not saying throw out, but just like I refresh the paint in my house or I refresh the operating system in my computer, is there a refresh that would give us a democracy more representative of the people it's serving? So let's cut to the, this is difficult and there's no easy solutions. But I do think we have to reframe the expectations we have of our current systems if they're failing. So let me take a very simple thought. You know, when I look back at my history and I'm old enough to experience some of this, not just read it, I look at the post-Second World War period as a period when uh, the Western world particularly started to rebuild, started to look at the traumas and the consequences of that conflict in, by 1945 and rebuild. And what did it do? It, it set up a new world order. It set up the United Nations, it set up international jurisprudence and courts, it set up a view based on a philosophy that, hang on, we can't do this in little island states. We have to do this together as a global community. So we set up global institutions and they largely did create a more positive outlook to things like poverty and the fight of poverty, the things of equalization across the global north and the global south. And over the 70 or 80 years since then, the world has made significant progress. But this is seeming to run a little thin now. So the international organizations set up at that time no longer appear to have the credentials, the respect, the central uh, power that they perhaps needed. What's happened is that the nation states have reasserted themselves and said, oh, you know, what we see is a world because of many things that many of your other commentators and interviewers were talking more articulate than I, many things have come along and, and have challenged the security of island states in such a way is that they've decided we need to fragment, we need to protect, we need to build walls around ourselves because it's all so complicated out there, let's just make it simple for us. So I, my own thesis is that the leaders have failed us because they've failed to think broadly and outside the scope of their immediate responsibilities. So we have a Europe that's fragmenting with Brexit and, and others. So we have a, the United States. How long is it before California decides that it doesn't want to go with the, the thrust of the United States and it's just big enough and strong enough and liberal enough place to go it alone? I have no idea. But I think the fragmentation that's happened 
is a consequence of people's frustration with the inability of our current system of governance to deliver some of the needs that we have. Brilliant. Thank you. So we're going to go on break now. And I encourage our listeners to think about the tension between national governance and global governance. And as an example, what during the pandemic, what is the role of the World Health Organization? And I believe the upcoming ILA conference, the head of the World Health Organization is going to offer a keynote. So for listeners thinking about how do we navigate those tensions and would a shift help facilitate some of, help us navigate through some of the challenges we're facing. So Mike and I will be right back. Thank you for joining Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. You're with Maureen Metcalf and Mike Hardy. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. So welcome back. You are with Professor Mike Hardy and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about better leadership to promote the positives in peace and culture. And so, Mike, uh, we set up the conversation by talking about what's happening in the world now. Let's go to the work of your center. Can you share with us what you and it are doing? So, it's, it's no secret to me, but perhaps to others, that we set a center up that tried to address some of the confusing and complex system failures that I've referred to. Without dwelling on analyzing failure, we looked at, at things. and It's very interesting. We finished the, the last segment talking about this contrast between national leadership and global leadership. And I think we've got other levels as well. That If you think about the contemporary world, we, we do see there being some help the more local we become. When we, when we look after the locality as well as the world, it seems to work best of all. So we set the centre up about seven years ago, and it was very innovative in its, in its, in its setup. It, it's a focus on peace and peaceful relations, but it was one of the first centres that was clear in articulation that we weren't interested in, in physical and financial or even human capital. We weren't interested in the traditional building blocks of security. We were interested in social capital. It's a center which is, it lives its name, the center for trust, peace, and social relations. 
which puts trust and relationships between individuals at the center of its work. And this is able, enables you to bypass the problems of national governments, national rivalries, and, and focus on some of the real needs. And, and what I see and what I saw at the time is that the thing most missing, the glue of social cohesion, the extent to which we trust each other, and in a competitive world where there's resource shortages and where there are differentials and inequalities, trust is the last thing we seem to invest in. So we've done a lot of work at the centre in looking at simple relationships and how important trust might be in provoking a world which is more secure for people, irrespective of the nature of the difficulties we face. So, you know, one of the biggest instabilities in the world are communities of multiple ethnicities, of multiple race, of multiple age, very diverse cities which can house hundreds of different languages and ethnicities and we expect people just to get on with it and not to have problems of identity and problems of uh, anxieties but we know that you need to work at multicultural uh, communities and the center is doing a lot of research on, on that it's looking at three major issues at the moment which have proved to have brought I think real contribution to understanding for policy, both at national and at global level. The first is about the nature of human insecurity and the importance of these relationships, people-to-people -people relationships. The second is the recognition that the world of people is on the move, that we have mass migration of people around the world, 70 million people on the move at any one point in time, and that creates huge problems for the places which are left behind and the places where people arrive for those on the move and those receiving those who arrive. And finally, the issue of crowded places. We're seeing that a lot of conflict and a lot of the absence of human flourishing takes place where people are crowded together, where crowded places need more assessment, more analysis. So if you're interested in uh, conflict management, if you're interested in intractable differences and how to coexist with these differences, we think you should work more on intercultural relationships, on people-to-people -people relationships and the building of trust. I set alongside that, how many leaders currently focus on building trust? How many leaders currently focus on empowering local areas to develop social capital networks and relationships that are more likely to support how many leaders generally are welcoming of the movement of people rather than provoking fear of the movement of people so there are simple things that better leadership could spend time focusing on these things are not going to go away the movement of people the crowded places that have grown up the paucity of space in some of our rich and safe lands uh, and the general lack of security that people have in the, the changing labor markets and now this cursed pandemic. But that's what we're doing. We're doing it I think really well and so we're being successful in terms of winning grants, getting people to commission work from us and you know the center's grown from uh, you know about a dozen people in 2014 when we started to more than 160 now. And these are some of the brightest and most creative academics that you wish to work with. It's an absolute privilege to be associated with them. I have to tell you that. It's a secret, of course, don't tell them. So you are uh, doing research on that surface these three factors, and I assume also on things like how to build trust. Is What new is coming out? So, so I think we've all seen a little bit about being a trusted advisor and and things that we understand like I need to be competent at my work, I need to do what I say I'm going to do, and I need to act in the, the broader interest, be, uh, doing what's right ahead of personal gain. What else are you seeing, especially in the space of global leadership, that is helping... Uh, build trust. So, and it's a really central question, Maureen. Social capital isn't always good. 
we normally say look this is a disconnected world but actually it's connected we travel we have internet we have zoom conversations we have telephones and telecommunications like never before but actually social capital can be both benevolent and, and uh, positive and it can be quite malevolent and quite difficult it's actually the tribes that many academics uh, talk about the tribalism that sometimes is the source of violence and the source of conflict and the source of human insecurity. So the, the work we're doing is trying to focus how do we develop positive social capital, the networks and the relationships at a local level that are mutually reinforcing, that are reciprocal, that are based on what's right and, in, and, and, and develop in the right way in, in that sense, as opposed to the social capital that is not, that actually is, is elitist and is grouping them quite exclusive. So that's quite important work and it doesn't come uh, naturally and that's why you know, we've, we've talked about, we've, we've labelled this talk that we're having about positive peace and positive culture. What sort of culture have we got in our world that would create such insecurity for people? That's what we need to understand. So let me give you an anecdote, a depressing story from the United Kingdom this week. I read that my government, that I elected, although I didn't vote for this party, I'm part of the democratic process, is actually considering the development of wave machines, the sort of machine that we use in swimming pools for pleasure that create turbulence in the water and fun for mm -hmm. They're thinking of creating wave machines that they can put in the English Channel to confront rubber dinghies full of migrants. Oh, what wow. Sort of, what sort of culture is it that would create that hostility by, by putting technology to create waves in a calm water where you have desperate people in rubber dinghies? So I want to understand better why, the, why our culture isn't by default a more positive thing, why it is sometimes quite malevolent. And you know, all the movement around Black Lives Matter, around Me Too, around uh, child abuse and, 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 and uh, domestic violence, which has grown horrendously during the lockdown, and the prejudices that have been fueled and sparked by the challenges of COVID-19. This is describing the impact of our culture, the way in which we are, our value systems. And we need to understand them better so that we can see what we can do to improve. You know, it's interesting as I listen to you, most of the people I know, and I, I, I will generalize and say most people, are at their heart kind and good. And yeah. if a stranger came up to them in a way that was safe and not threatening, they would certainly help them. They would call if someone's car broke down on the side of the street. They would feed someone who was hungry. And yet we seem to live in a world that has promoted this fear that immigrants endanger our jobs versus immigrants do much of the work that needs to be done in our communities. We've just promoted a level of fear and ill-ease, dis-ease, with people who are different, whether it be Black Lives Matter or women or Latinx, whatever it is, we, we have taken good people and as we aggregate, it seems like the goodness that we would individually demonstrate is not collectively demonstrated. Yeah, so I'm not saying that these things are easy, but I am saying that through our research we can show what we need to understand better. We need to get to grips with the, why is it that it's easier to see bad leaders than to point out good leaders? Because it's easier to see conflict and to feel conflict than it is to feel peace. So the notion of positive culture and positive peace that leads to this demand for better leadership is, for me, it's quite a, it's quite a logical step. Mm -hmm. It requires us to refresh our focus on, on whatever it is. So, do we just focus on wealth creation and assume if there's more of everything that everyone will benefit? No. And that's the, you know, we have to have systems, we have to have recognition and understanding 
which is much more complex than that, and I think often much more long-term. The short-termism of current politics has led to the, in my view, has led to the polar extreme, the polarizations, the populism of current governments, who find that they can win power in the short term, mm -hmm. and simply stay in power by having many short terms that are just added together. That's not a recipe for progress, I think. Um, and we need to show that with evidence, with research, mm -hmm. that, there are, that there are better ways. You know, as you talk about positive cultures, I think about back to the question of is there a culture 2.0, a, a governance 2.0, assuming we were at 1.0, that when I think about positive psychology and the positive impact it made by introducing these ideas that, that weren't necessarily new, but we weren't taught to put them into practice in the way we now are, that by rewarding over punishing, I'll get a better outcome, that by creating a positive culture around opportunity and not, not being delusional, you and I both know that increased immigration causes challenges. It's a complex situation, and when done poorly, the country can end up being worse off. When done well, it can be much better off. So isn't our challenge, and your challenge specifically at the center, to introduce models and frameworks and approaches that allow us to navigate the current challenges and create a positive, peaceful culture when for many people we didn't even know that it was missing, to your point, we just, it's the water in which we swim, and it just is, and now it's the opportunity to step back and examine, are we swimming in polluted water? So there was a wonderful question as we face, in 2020 has been a especially difficult time for all of us. I read, read recently someone who said, you know, we're trying desperately to get back to normal. We often hear that, the normalization. Oh, why can't we have Christmas like we've always had it and so forth. But I think that one of the ways through is to take responsibility now, to say that when all this is over, when we get through this, because we will, technology will help, we'll, we're a clever, resourceful people. What sort of world do we want when it's all over? Do we really want to have the one we left behind when, when something came along and took it away from us? Mm -hmm. I don't think we do. I don't want the prejudice. I don't want the inequality. I don't want the lack of opportunity. I don't want my children not to be better off than I and my parents and, and all these things. I want to, f to find a responsibility somewhere that says, let's take, a, take stock of what destination we want to create. Let's not assume it's going to happen for us. We can take control. And that requires much more collaboration in the world much more compassion in the world and those for me would be necessary ingredients of better leadership leadership that's compassionate and leadership that's collaborative and that's unforgiving in both you know we we have a competency model that was published in the ila book leadership 2050 yeah. and we talk about humility as one of the competencies yeah. Yeah. and caring more about doing what is right versus being right, and collaboration. And it seems that those competencies help us create this world. And it inspires me to mention the John Lennon song, Imagine. Yeah. We, we actually used to personally, my partner and I on the weekends, when we would go for a walk, would pick a thing each, each Sunday yeah. that we would imagine being different. We haven't yeah. done it for a while and we really need to again. And it creates the space for us to get out of our routines that, that just our thinking is we're so busy. Even during the pandemic, many of us are busy, busier, tending to children, tending to things in the home, tending to things that used to get outsourced. Now we're, we're attending to those. How do we create the space to step back and say, what about my individual experience? Last year, you talked about how you processed anger. I, I'm focusing on how I navigate anxiety because I, sure. especially watching the things that are happening now, 
how do I imagine my life being different and how do I contribute to the world more effectively also imagining it being different so we're looking now at the, mo at the moment and ILA have been tremendous in sponsoring work on standards and on criteria for good leadership development and what a good leader looks like but here's the thing I think we've spent a lot of time in leadership looking at doing the right thing and we've, we've the power of purpose the focus on uh, general goods and public goods doing the right thing but actually we've got to add to that doing the right thing but doing it in the right way and that's the future that's where we have to look at it's a, it's not enough to do, do the right thing we have to do it in a way that is sustainable for the planet for our relationships for equalities for global south we have to do the right thing in the right way brilliant so that sets us up for the next segment doing the right thing in the right way and for our listeners during break i would encourage you to think about what does that mean for you what is doing the right thing in the right way this is mike hardy and maureen metcalf innovating leadership talking about building leadership to promote the positives in peace and culture we'll be right back become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america the Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. So welcome back to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. You're with Professor Mike Hardy and Maureen Metcalf talking about better leadership to promote positives in peace and culture. And Mike, before we went on break, you talked about the imperative for leaders not only to do the right thing, but do it in the right way. Can you help listeners understand what do you mean by that? So it's, it's really based on our work on social capital and on this notion of relationships. So I, I think we can set an agenda for what needs to be done. We know the things that needs to be done. We need to create jobs for people. We need to build houses for people to live in. We need to have the right schools. We need properly qualified teachers. We need nurses and hospitals. You know, we can list them very easily. Isn't it also the case that we need to get those in a certain way that's less, that's not destructive, that's not in a finite sum game? In the past, you know, in our imperial past, when we needed wood, we went to another country and took it. When we needed labor, we went to another continent and shipped it out. And this is doing the right thing in the completely wrong way. So a responsibility for things. Now, in social capital theory, 
without going into social capital 2.0 or whatever, there are a set of things that are really important. The first, participation. So are we doing it in a way, all the stakeholders, whether they're the beneficiaries or those that lose out, actively participating in the process? Quite often we're not. Do we ask parents how to train teachers? No. We're experts. We know how to do that. We do it in loco parentis. So there's lots of examples. Secondly, networks. Do we actively encourage our young people to socialise in productive networks as opposed to hedonistic networks? Do we look at, do they just play with their gamers or do you find a balanced and more eclectic set of networks? Thirdly, trust. Do we value trust at all? Do we regulate and police everything so we don't need to trust anyone? It used to be the case, you know, in banking, that your word was your bond, that you could say someone and shake their hand and say, this is it. Now it's not. There's litigation, there's regulation, there's protection. So we protect ourselves away from natural trust. Belonging, forcefully. Do we really understand how important it is for our psychology to belong somewhere, to be a member? Why do we exclude people unnecessarily? Then there's reciprocity. How often do we do things under contract for payment rather than for something in return which is a positive value to them and us, a reciprocal relationship? And values and norms, of course. We have universal rights, we have universal values, but we put them on the shelf when it suits us. Now, how disciplined are we? So there are a set of things that can inform the way we do things. And they're really about doing things together as opposed to individually. Doing things that do no harm to others. Try and protect the environment and things like this. And I, and I think more conversations like that will lead us to the better leadership to which we aspire. So if I'm a leader listening to this and I am absolutely committed to my organization being effective and myself being effective, how do I put something like this into practice? So I think it's, it, it's saying that the way we conduct ourselves is as important as what we do. I'll keep saying that over and over. Mm -hmm. So are there bonds between us that we can exploit that don't exclude other people, but then but grow a rich relationship within us? So how many employer relations are of the type that will fit a fully participative, fully engaged community? Some corporations are better than others in private sector. Some governments are better than others. What are those that really involve all people as members, as stakeholders, rather than as units of labor? Then there are bridges. You know, there are many people that are very different, but how much do we invest in creating bridges between different colleagues in different associations? How, how often, you know, it's the case that when you look straight ahead, you see what's in front of you. When you look to one side, you see the world. And I think we, we're very weak as leaders. You're usually at looking at peripheral vision, looking over your shoulder, looking at how many people are keeping up with you. We tend to be driving forward in a very singular, parallel track. And finally, linkages. Do we have a collaborative world? Or do we have one in which we're, we're quite exclusive? Do we have a world which says that together we can be stronger than separately? I don't think we do. You know, I think that the whole nature of, of competition between societies has become more important than the end goal and the end destination. So this will require an enormous investment in just stopping doing the right thing and focusing more on the way you go about doing it. And, we, you know, it's going to slow us down, and it's worth it, in my view. Better leadership is about saying that it's just as important the nature of the footprint you leave on the sand is as important as the journey as you progress across the sand. So I'm going to repeat back as much for myself as for our listeners. So what I heard was three main things. Creating bonds where people are fully participative. That we don't look to experts to tell us what to do. Now certainly there are places like uh, physicians know more about health than I do. So I should mostly consider their point of view, but also I know my own body. So I have a voice. 
Second is the bridges, and I put this as integrally linked to collaboration, my ability to create a more robust and uh, novel solution to our problems because I encourage different voices and different points of view. And that's also a way to navigate the polarities and bring them together. Not that one wins and one loses, but that how do we synthesize the strong positive of each side to create, and each doesn't have to be just the two, but, but multiple sides to create something that didn't exist. And then third, the linkages moving away from me beating you is more important than how we interconnect and create a more peaceful world. And yet I think of my clients and even where I fall short, sometimes I'm just so busy getting the stuff done. And I know that what happens to someone in Nigeria is important or what happens to someone down the street is important but I'm just struggling to get my through my day. How do we, is there some, uh, just I'm looking for a simple takeaway. I realize this is an incredibly complicated field. If you were to give advice to our listeners, and I heard one, stop focusing on doing the right thing and more about the how. What do you want, the world so would be a better place if X, that we all did yeah. X. So it's often with young people that we can have the greatest, you know, make the greatest progress. But with bonding, don't ever take your closest friends for granted. Don't ever take your family for granted. You have to work at the relationship. So bonding is about the way you relate very close at home. Don't take people for granted. And with bridging, don't stay in your bonded little existence. Reach out every now and then to see the consequences of what you're doing on someone else. What happens when, you know, very cheap labor in another country makes the sneakers that you so like? Think about the, the bridge to, from you to there. Don't have to cross it. You have to really recognize it exists. And the linkages just realize that we're all joined up in this. It's a very small world and that we're, we're not doing very well at looking after it. So these linkages between people or groups further or up or further down the hierarchy it's really important to think about those less fortunate from yourself. So those are, are, are simple messages. They're really difficult to do. But if our leaders led and showed how this is done at corporate levels, in universities, in government, we'd, we'd, you know, we'd be snail-like towards a better place. I agree that our leaders need to do it. And absent good leadership, we can be the leaders. That each one of our listeners has the opportunity to make the world better in their sphere, irrespective of the competence or, or negligence we're seeing on the global stage. So let me wrap up then. Who could have known the battlegrounds that would be established in 2020? From the pandemic to conflict and ideas to unwillingness to listen to other sides. It's been a time of unfathomable disruption when we needed uh, just good leadership and even better, great leadership. So thank you, Mike, for your hard work and that of the ILA and of your Peace Center for providing us the tools and research and modeling to become the leaders that we need to see to create that world that we're imagining. So how do people find out about the ILA, find out about your Peace Center and find out about you? So the ILA is an amazing organization which, which you know, it seeks to combine the scholars we have globally with the policy makers we have globally with practitioners uh, from all sectors. So ila-net.org, have a look online. The articulation of our work is summed up in our annual global conference which will happen in November. It's an enormously rich resource because it combines people who care about the simple thing that we're, you know, a complex people, a demographic that needs people to emerge and help us by providing leadership and providing the right leadership, doing the right things in the right way. So you're very generous in your descriptions. We don't solve anything. We see, simply seek to ask more and more 
of what I think are the right questions, and we explore those. So my center, the Center of Trust, Peace, and Social Relations, you can find us online at Coventry University. It's a new center. It's one of the most dynamic social science research centers now in Europe. I'm very proud of, of what it's achieving and the scholars that we've attracted. But actually, the relationship between this notion of better leadership positive peace and positive culture is a really important one. The ILA at the moment is, is, has mobilized a set of global thought leaders to try and map out the requirements for better leadership following this term tumultuous, this dreadful year that we've had. And that should publish by the end of this year. But if you're interested in the ILA, then Google it, then go online and explore and find out, and you'll find out how to get in touch. And do so. There are a wealth of resources and for anyone interested in attending the conference, because it is virtual, you no longer need to get on an airplane and take days out of your schedule. You can pop in even to a few sessions. I don't remember the cost, but I think it's $350 or something in that range. So for many people, because it is remote, the cost is only the cost of the conference. And at that price, many people who, who happen to be fortunate to work in companies who have training budgets, that's probably within a training budget of, of a modest investment. And so, again, I find the content incredibly valuable. You can pop into sessions that you've been looking for those answers or metaphorically walk the halls and see what's going on and learn the perspective of something you've never even thought to ask about, but that people are, are talking about both research and their, their practice of putting it into place. So Mike, thank you so much. I deeply appreciate all the work you're doing. So it's been a good conversation. I go on a lot, I know, about some things that matter so much. But you know, the ILA has been, become a great home and I'm privileged to be the, the board chair, such a talented group of people. And such important work. Yeah, I think so. Thank you, Mike. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.